Hey, thanks for listening with Sanctuary. We're excited to grow in the knowledge of Jesus with you. Now let's get into the Word. Amen. In Jesus' name. Somebody said? Amen. Amen. I want to talk to you about homeless in heaven, living with eternity in view, homeless in heaven. So you guys know, 10 years ago, uh, Beth and I made the journey from Columbia, Missouri, 11 hours down to Louisiana. We just finished our 10th year, starting our 11th with you. It's been a, a wonderful journey, a decade in Gina. And uh, we wouldn't have picked any other place. At first, we didn't know. <laughs> but uh, then we were like, this is where God has for us. So on that journey, you may not know this, but we almost didn't make it. So it was December 28, 2013. Uh, we had a little four-month-old baby. And we left the state that we both knew and the people that we knew and a church family we very much loved and obeyed the Holy Spirit to come. Uh, we had met with the board and come down a couple months ahead and, and interviewed and got hired on the day that we came and, and all that. So uh, we didn't even know where we were going to live, right? So we didn't even have an apartment. Um, we had uh, heard, seen pictures and we saw the pictures like in December of what possibilities were available and so we picked a place and came down so we got a u-haul everything in my life so i'm 28 years old i'm a youngin 28 years old i got a little baby got a wife and my everything i own which isn't much is in this u-haul in a trailer my parents were you know coming behind us and so we're making an 11 hour journey taking a going to somewhere we've never been i'd never been south of monroe y'all that's as far south as I'd, I'd really been in my life and so we come down we are six five and a half hours outside of gina it's about to get dark in u-haul dies on the side of the road it's about almost dark everything i have is stuck between two places. I had already, you disconnected everything, you turned your internet off, your water off, everything's done. That life is over. It's, it's finished. You quit your jobs, right? You know, you left it all, cashed in your retirement, and you are on the journey, headed to a new place. But guess what? You're not there yet. And here you are in the middle of the night in nowhere, Arkansas. Come on, y'all have been, this is Louisiana. Y'all can brag against, you know, come, uh, in the middle of nowhere, Arkansas, so you know how scary that might be. And my whole life is on the side of a highway, stuck between two places. In a sense, I was homeless. Everything there, and I knew for certain that this U-Haul, it would not start, and they were going to have to make me unload my whole house Everything I own and a little baby is asleep in the back all on the side of the highway south of Little Rock, Arkansas. Luckily, they got a, a semi-truck and a tower, and they towed our whole house five hours. And we got to Gina in the middle of the night, uh, December uh, 28th, 29th. And uh, I'm thinking about that in the Christian life. We are called sojourners. We are a people who... Forget, or we forsake and we leave a certain home and we're headed to another home, but we're not there yet. And sometimes it feels and it should feel like we are homeless. We are on the way to somewhere. And, and here's the idea that's, that we're supposed to be like Israel. Israel was to trust God in the wilderness and go through the wilderness of sin and trust God by faith, by following their Messiah, their Savior, their Moses, on a journey to a land of promise they had never been. 
They were to be like Abraham, to forsake a place and go out not knowing where they were going, to a place they'd never seen, to trust God's Word by faith. We were to be like the disciples who dropped their nets and left everything. Somebody say everything. Left everything to follow a man who said, follow me. And we didn't know where we were going. And to follow him to a place on a destination on a journey they had never been. Have you discovered the real reason why anybody would want to do that? Why in the world would you leave everything to follow a man, to follow a God, to go on this journey if you don't know where you're going or you've never been there? Why would any person want to count the costs? Why would any person want to live like they're letting go? And why would any person give up everything to follow God? You see, one day you're going to get to heaven and you're going to leave this world and you're going to enter a new dimension. There you're going to stand outside the gates of eternity between dark and light. Like me on that road, you'll be cut off from this life and you'll not be able to go back. Everything on this side will be cut off. You'll be standing there alone, not having yet arrived outside the gates of heaven, looking and waiting. And you'll stand there in that moment and you won't have any belongings you won't have any house. You won't have even any pedigrees or accolades or diplomas or anything uh, that could say who you are, what you've done. You won't even have the titles that we hold so dear in this earth that I am husband of so-and-so, wife of so-and-so, I'm father or mother, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I'm a grandpa, I'm a grandma. You won't stand there with any identity except for one. Except for one. You'll have nothing You'll be nothing of the titles of this earth, and there you'll stand, homeless in heaven. With only the real you, the one that's fully known, fully seen, and for many this is going to be a very scary place to be. But for those who've been fully known on this side of eternity, they'll come to that place with confident expectation that they've not just been fully known, but they've been fully loved. Somebody say amen. amen. Being fully known and fully loved, they will come to the Father that day, and He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your new home. Because you are fully known, and because you are fully loved, you are fully willing. Why would anybody be willing to give up everything, to count the cost, to let, live like they're letting go, to forsake all and follow someone. It's because they were not just fully known, but they were fully loved. And because they were fully willing, God will say, you're finally home. You're finally home. If you say, I'm known, I am known, I am loved, you will say, I'm willing. I was talking to uh, Bradley this week and just d discussing this of why is it that some people forsake all? Why is it that some people can leave all? Why is it that some people can sell out and go all in and be radical for Jesus? And it's really this factor. They're willing, they're fully willing because they're fully known and they're fully loved. So I want you to see this in the story of Abraham. So look with me, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. I'm reading in the New American Standard, homeless in heaven. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going, 
by faith. Somebody say faith. By faith, he lived as an alien, a foreigner, a stranger, a sojourner in the land of promise. In a foreign land, toiling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. And it was because, why? For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Abraham was homeless until he got to heaven. Abraham lived this life as a homeless person, really not ever achieving the thing that he thought he was going to gain. He lived this whole life, and when he came to the gates of glory, he was homeless. And he, why was he willing to do that? Why was he willing to follow and sell out and live like he's letting go and give up everything to follow God? Why was he fully willing? And the author of Hebrews gives us a little hint today. It's because I think he was on a pursuit not of earthly things but of heavenly things. He was fully known, and he was fully loved. So that's the first thing I want to tell you today. I am known. I am known. So let's look at Abraham. So Abraham, his name is Abram. Abram lives in Ur, the land of the Chaldees, is ancient Babylon. This is the place where, you know, the Tower of Babel. It's not a great place. And his father, Terah, has a dream. Somebody say, I have a dream. All right, okay. I have a dream. And they have a dream to go to this place. They, maybe they heard about it. It's like on a postcard somewhere. The land flowing with milk and honey. It's Canaan land. And so they had a dream, and they start the journey. They make it just a little ways out, and they get to a, a city less than halfway in a place called Haran, and there Abraham's dad settles. You ever felt like you settled in life? Abraham's dad settles, and he dies. Genesis chapter 11, verse 32. And here's Abraham, Abram, this pagan man who's grown up in ancient Babylon, and he's 75 years old, and he's halfway to nowhere. He's left his life behind. That life's cut off. He's followed a dream, but the dream didn't pan out like he thought it would. And here they are stuck in between two places. And God appears to Abram at 75 years old, and he, for whatever reason, chooses him. And here's what he says in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Go and leave your family and house to a land I'll show you, and I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great. You'll be a blessing, and I'll bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I'll curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. The Bible says, and then Abraham went. Now, why would a pagan... Abraham didn't know God, didn't believe God. He wasn't a Christian. He wasn't even a Hebrew yet. He, why would this guy who's only known pagan gods all of a sudden listen to some God who just appeared in the middle of nowhere, halfway to nowhere, on the side of the road with his whole family outside of a U-Haul, and he says, hey, come follow me. Come, come, I'm going to do something great in your life. And the text doesn't go into it because we don't get to know everything, but here's what I believe. I believe in that moment, Abraham realized, I'm known. Why do you say that, Pastor Heath? I'm known. Because Abraham, we find in the text, says he was childless. He had no way of, his wife couldn't have any kids. He was childless, 75 years old. He had a dream as a young man to go to this place called Canaan. It never worked out for him, getting, didn't get there. He never could have any kids. And here's a God who shows up in the middle of nowhere. And he says, Abraham, I know you. 
I know what you want in life more than even you do. I know you had dreams for your life that never came to be. Abraham, I know that you wanted to have a great family and at least have a kid. But Abraham, I knew that. And that's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to take you to the place you've always wanted to go. Abram, I'm going to give you a child, and, and you're going to have descendants, and it's going to be great. And I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And I think in that moment, Abraham just realized, who is this guy who knows me? How, how do you know that? That my inner longings, my inner wants, my inner desires, my inner dreams, and God just exposed it and said, I am the answer to everything you've ever wanted, every place you've ever wanted to go in the inner parts of your heart, every place that felt unfulfilled, I am the answer to that place. Have you ever felt like that? the whole point about being known being known in the world today is, is like the most vulnerable, intimate place. That's why we have selfie photos and filters, right? We don't want to be known. The real me, the real you. You know, even the, the most successful marriages, mine included, have a hard time with really being known, really letting the, the mass uh, and the walls fall down, really letting, because everything there is laid bare. It's like, oh, they know everything good and bad about me. They know what I look like at 5 o'clock in the morning when I roll over and say, hi, honey, with that good morning breath. Like, that's, that's being known, y'all. That's, that's the real you. Before Facebook ever sees you, that's the real you. And to really be known is to be intimate and vulnerable and open. And one of the reasons I think we don't want to get to that place is we have this one fear. The fear if they really knew me, would they really like me? Would they really love me? Would they really love me? But what about when the God of the universe says he knows you? I think about Isaiah the prophet. When he saw God, he fell down. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And what did God do? God called him closer, touched the very place he confessed, and then commissioned him to go back out. Woe is me. I'm a guy who's unfit for this job. And he says, no, I'm going to make you fit. Come a little closer. Boom. Now go. I think about that moment uh, with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. There's this woman at the well. She's a woman who's not got a great reputation. She's had five husbands, and she's living with somebody who's not even her husband right now, which isn't cool in that culture. And she's going to the water pot, uh, to the well in a time when nobody was going to be there, so she didn't have to see nobody. Maybe she had her hair curler still or something. I don't know. But she went to that place. And Jesus went out of his way, the text tells us in John 4, to find her in that moment led by the Spirit. And he tells her everything about her life. He begins to say and prophetically reveal, I know you. You're hiding here from people. You want to get away from people and your life's a wreck. And I know that you're living with a guy who's not your husband. And I know you've, had a, uh, you've been divorced these many times and nobody likes you. And you've broken all these relationships, burnt all these bridges. And here she is. And he says, I'm the thing you're really looking for. And he sees her. But here's the cool part. It says, I know there's a Messiah coming. And then Jesus says, I'm he. You see, God saw her, but then God let her see him. <coughs> the first person that Jesus ever reveals who he is, before even the disciples, is a woman of ill repute. A woman who ain't got no good track record, who's not even a Jew. And Jesus comes and says, I see you, all of you, as you are. 
and I'm willing to let you see me. And what did she do? The Bible says she dropped her water pot, she ran into the city, and she came and told everybody, come see the man who told me all the bad things I've ever done. Now that doesn't sound like a good testimony, but what does that tell me? She was no longer ashamed of her identity and all she'd done because when she tasted of a living water and she knew that she was fully known by the God of the universe and that she got to know the God of the universe, it didn't matter anymore. The most important thing in her life was that she was known by Him. Known by Him. I think about Paul talking to the Corinthians. They're so puffed up in all their little knowledges about how they can speak in tongues and how they know all these gifts and how they are good in the community and all the things they know about eating food and having communion. And they're so jacked up, they don't even know it. And they're so prideful in all they know. And here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. He says, we see it in a mirror dimly, but then one day we'll see face to face. And here's what he says. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I have also been, here it is, fully known. You know what that means? Paul knew I didn't get it all figured out. On this side of heaven, I'm homeless, but there's going to come a day when I get to glory. But there's something that's captivated me on this side of eternity first. The reason I have been willing to sell out for Jesus, the reason I was fully willing is because over here, I was fully known. God knew me. God stopped me on a road to Damascus. I was his persecutor, and yet I saw him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I got to see him. He spent time for maybe one to two years in the wilderness outside of Damascus being ministered to by Jesus himself. And he says, I have been fully no, I don't care how much you know. It's not about how much you know about Christianity and going to church and memorizing verses and how much you can pray and how much you can tithe and give and how much you can serve. If you don't know Him, it's all for nothing. It's not about how much you know, but are you fully known? Have you let everything down and take the mask off and say, God, this is me, all of me, the bad, the good, the ugly, everything, no Facebook filter. God, I want to meet you in an intimate place and remove the mask and get to a vulnerable place. That's that place of repentance where he calls Adam and Eve out of the garden. They're hiding from God. And he says, come to me. This is me, he, me, the guy who's always been with you, and come out of that hiding place. Jesus said, remember what he said in John? He says, every person who comes to the light, they get exposed. But those who hide in the dark, they love their evil. But if you come to God, even though it's this most exposed place, here's a God who says, yeah, I see you, but now I want you to see me. Man, we don't deserve that. To a God who says, I know your mess, and I see it, but I want you to see me. See, you're fully known, but then you're fully loved. So I'm known, and I'm loved. That true identity. You see, being known was just the beginning for Abraham. He'd get to the land. God would appear to him again. God would protect him like a shield. He'd prosper him in wealth. He'd make him known as a man of God. But then one day, years into this journey, God makes an unconditional promise to him because he was still childless. In Genesis 15, he says, Abraham, let's go look at the stars. So he gets Abraham out of his house. They go outside. They say, Abraham, this is how your descendants will be. I'm going I'm to make you as numerous, your descendants as numerous as the stars. 
I know you know your dreams, know your ambitions, know your desires, I know your fears, know your failures, I know all of you. And Abraham, I want to I want to do this through you. Over the years of waiting, though, Abraham would make tons of mistakes. Several times he'd doubt God. Yeah, he'd try to fulfill the promise on his own. At 86 years old, he tries to have a kid with his wife's servant, Hagar, and that doesn't work out so well. It's like a Jerry Springer show, and, and it, it just goes bad to bad to bad. And, and, and he, again, he almost loses the promise several times, but then finally at 99 years old, God comes to him and says, Abraham, I want you to trust me, and I'm the God who does this, and here's what I'm going to do for you. And he renews the covenant, and he changes his name to not just father, but like a blessed father, a father of nations. And, and he gives him a new identity and confirms his love and his, his knowing of Abraham. Him. And then at a hundred years old, Sarah bores a son. She bears a son named Isaac because Abraham believed what he knew about God. The Bible says he got called a friend of God, somebody close. Close. James says he was known as the friend of God. What kind of God does something like that? It's unmerited grace, it's undeserved favor, it's Un, uh, endless love, amazing love, that a God, even though in our failures and our flaws, even when we make it, all the mistakes, he says, I'm pulling you closer, I know you, and because you let me know you, Abraham, I'm going to cover you with my love, and he makes him righteous. I said, why is being made known so vulnerable? It's because we fear they'll know the real us. And you see, the human heart can hardly stand not being loved. We fear not being loved because we were made to be loved. We were all made to receive this unconditional love from God, and we all look for it in all the wrong places. We find it in entertainment and television. We try to find it in, in relationships. We try to find it in our kids. We try to find it in our spouse. We try to find it in our identity, what we do, how much we work. You know, that love language of service. Man, that's what is sometimes bad. You work, 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 thinking you're going to earn people's love. And here's God saying, I love you like you are, the real you, the pre-makeup you, the, the one that has all the faults and flaws. I know you, and I still love you. Probably not better seen in that moment with Peter. Peter didn't realize until that moment it happened that he denied God three times. And here, Jesus is resurrected. He pulls Peter to himself, and you know the story. Maybe he asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And the Bible says on the third time, Peter was cut to the core. He, he was hurt. He, he actually wept because he realized what Jesus was doing. Because he denied him three times, he confessed his love. And what is Jesus saying? Peter, I know you. I know you. I know you. And yet I still love you. I still love you. I still love you. I still love you. Peter, you're fully known and you're fully loved. And what did he say? Go feed my sheep. What is he asking? Peter, you're fully known, you're fully loved, but are you still fully willing? Remember, I asked you, why would a person be willing? Why is a person willing? And I look at American Christianity, I wonder, why aren't we willing to sell out and sell out? I don't think we know and haven't come to be fully known. 
Either we haven't let it all down and got exposed and repented and found God in a radical way to the depths of our soul, to the innermost being. We haven't been fully known. Or maybe we just don't understand how God can love us in this way, that He does love us in this way. So we're not fully known. We're not fully loved. So we're not fully willing. You see, this is love, that not that we love God, but that He loved us. And he sent his son to be the atonement, to stand in the gap, to make up the difference for our sin. And lastly, I'm willing. Abraham left everything uh, to be that stranger, that sojourner, the Bible says. So we finally get to Abraham at the end of his life, and towards the end, he, he's known, he's loved. And here's what God does. He tests him on that. Genesis, 7, uh, 7, Genesis 22 no, no, more, uh, no other time was Abraham's love more seen than this moment. He says, Abraham, now take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah, which is Jerusalem. That's the actual temple mount today, by the way, and offer him there. Abraham gets up early, saddles his donkey, tells his two servants, gets the wood, tells his son, hey, we're going to McDonald's, bud. Let's go. And his wife sends them off, and they travel. They travel three days, by the way, three days. And they get to Jerusalem. They get to Mount Moriah, and they go up the mountain together, father and son. The two servants stay behind, and he bears the wood on his shoulders, and he goes up to this hill. And at the very moment, Abraham knows, I am fully known, I am fully loved, and God... I'm fully willing. You are God good to your word. You said you would do this. You said you'd make my descendants as numerous as the stars. You've always been for me. How can I not trust you in this? You've been faithful time and again. So God, because I'm known, because I'm loved, God, I'm willing. I'm willing. And you know at that moment he's about to bring the knife down. The angel stops him and he looks and he sees the ram. And he says, this is the place the Lord will provide. And that became prophetic uh, words to us today. That same hill, that same place, God the Father takes his son between two criminals, puts the wood on his son's back, marches his son up that same exact hill on that same exact place and becomes the God who provides for you and for me. Because this God was fully willing to love you and to know you. He was willing to prove it so you could understand, I know you, I love you. Would you be willing? Would you be willing to follow me all the way, to go the distance? So I'm going to go the distance for you. I'm going to show you something. Today, the fact that God sent his son should be enough for me to be fully willing. The fact that he was willing, should make me want to be willing. But the unfortunate truth of the matter is we've made it so much religion, we've made it so much tradition, it's just become words. It's just become not good news, but old news. I think about, and lastly, I think about that moment with the rich young ruler. And she, he comes to Jesus, and, and let me see, it's John, or sorry, Luke, or sorry, Mark 10, it's in the Gospels. But Mark chapter 10, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus He's a good religious kid, a good religious man. He bows down at Jesus' feet, and he says, Good teacher, what am I going to do to inherit eternal life? How do I get to the end? How do I get through that door in glory? And Jesus knows him. Oh, he knows him. 
He says, I've done all this stuff. I've got all the religious pedigree. I've tithed. I've obeyed my parents. I didn't back talk when I was a kid. I rarely got grounded, hardly got spanked, didn't run around town. I've never been divorced. I've always paid my tithes. I've done all the right things. See, he began to quote all the lesser laws. He began to quote all the religious laws. And Jesus said, but there's one law you haven't really given to. And that's the, the, the one in Deuteronomy that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And he says, there's one thing I see you still lack. You're not willing. You're not willing. There are many possessions in your life that are really possessing you. And if I call you to lay them down, you won't say yes. There's a key verse in there. Jesus looked at him in verse 21, Mark chapter 10, says, Jesus felt a love for him. I know you, and I love you. You are fully known, you are fully loved, but are you fully willing? And when he heard that, the Bible says he turned away sad and walked away. That has got to be one of the saddest verses in the New Testament. And I think that is an epitome of the American church and many of our Christianity today. Much of our Christianity today is that we know we're fully known and we know we're fully loved. But we come to this moment when we say, God, this thing has got possession of my heart. Am I willing to lay it down? And we turn sadly and walk away from being fully willing and I wonder if he got it. Man, if he, if he understood, you're talking to the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth, that this guy loves you, and he looks at you with these piercing, loving eyes, and he calls out your sin, and would you be willing to lay it all down? Because you're fully known, because you're fully willing, are you willing to live like you're letting go? Are you willing to let go of the pursuit of more and gain in this life? Are you willing to be a sojourner, a traveler? Are you willing to live like you're homeless for heaven? To press on, like Paul said, for perfection because Christ has actually first possessed you. That Christ has got a hold of you so much that you're willing to live like you're letting go. You see, every person is going to enter heaven homeless. You will have not yet arrived, and you will be cut off from this place. And the only identity that's going to matter on that day is not that I'm mom or dad or son or daughter or grandma or grandpa. It's not going to be because I went to church seven times or this times or not going to be because I did all these things and all these people know me and they think I'm a great guy and had a lot of people at my funeral. It's not going to be because you did all these things. Paul says, I could give my life to be burned at the stake. I could prophesy in tongues of angels. I could do all these things. But if I have not love, if I'm not known by him, you and I will stand there alone in the identity that we have, and that identity it must say, that final identity must say, I'm known, I am loved, and I was willing. I was willing. I'm known, 
I'm loved, and God, I was willing. I was willing to sell out for Jesus. I was willing to forsake all to follow you. God, I was willing to drop my nets and leave it all right there, God, to find the only thing I ever saw value in is that I was known by you and I was loved by you. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning? Why is someone willing? Why am I willing? Are you fully known? And are you fully loved? Maybe you need today to take a moment to get to a secret place with God, an intimate place. We're going to leave a moment in our service for something just like that. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Maybe number one is that you haven't come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ where you've laid everything bare and you've forsaken everything that you're holding on to to come to that intimate knowledge.